Pickle, 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 pickle. We got a special guest on today's episode. We're bringing in Mr. Quality at Bats, Steve Springer. Very excited to have Steve with us today. He's uh, speaking next door at 180 Performance here in Leander, Texas. Thanks for joining us. I love it, buddy. Great to see you guys again. Obviously, Bobby, we have two special guests. Look who's here. Mux is here, dude. <laughs> He's so focused on what's going on upstairs, but I'm shooting from my basement for the first time in a while. Clutch, I know you're focused on what's going on upstairs, but can you give me a high five? He doesn't want a high five. He's so locked in with what's going on upstairs. <laughs> no, yeah, Real quick. he hears both upstairs, so it's over. Real quick, favorite mem memorabilia behind you? Uh, lineup card from my first hit. Francisco Lindor, uh, best locker mate ever. He signed it, best locker mate ever. And I think that's it. I have, I don't know if you can see the watch for that one. American League Player of the Week is right there. And then, oh, oh that's a Colabello Coke bottle and the glasses. They're all, they're all awesome. I, they're, I, it's all awesome. I my favorite, my favorite is the, uh, the goggles, playoff the goggles. goggles. Yeah. Yeah. Those were for both, all three celebrations that we had. That's good. All right, let's jump right into the topics. I'll lead off. Uh, two game sevens, back-to-back -back nights. Astros almost came back from a three-nothing deficit. Dodgers did come back from a three-one deficit. First time that's ever happened in the National League. Uh, Randy Arozarena is still the best hitter on the planet at the current time. Mookie Betts, the American Arozarena, to the Cuban Betts. Uh, Mookie Betts, just Mookie Betts. He is making plays, jumping into walls, just unbelievable. Uh, Chris, what do you got on uh, Game Sevens? First of all, Randy Arosa Real Deal is that we're just re we're renaming him Arosa Real Deal. Bad vertical batting. I would talk about that later, but man, can he hit? Um, Mookie's the man. Like he's just incredible. That guy does something to help you win every day. Probably a good reason to pay somebody three hundred billion dollars. Uh, bad idea for the Red Sox to let him go somewhere else. Uh, but yeah, it was cool to have Game Sevens. Uh, shocked that the Astros didn't win. Honestly, after getting it from three nothing to three three, I thought the emotion there would uh, would kind of swing things in their favor. But um, I'm curious to hear Springs' take on that series because. What do you imagine like the emotion was like in those two clubhouses and how, the, obviously the Rays did a great job to be able to kind of overcome being up three, nothing, then making it three, three. Right. Yeah. I mean, it was a great series. Uh, I mean, the best teams were playing, I believe, uh, you know, Tampa's really, really good. I mean, if they, if they're beating up on the Yankees, Red Sox, Blue Jays were tough this year. I mean, they, they have a great team, you know, they've been there before. Uh, you know, I thought I would have put money on the Astros in game seven. Uh, you know, they, great team. I was sort of pulling for Dusty Baker. I know not a lot of people were pulling for the uh, Astros, but, you know, Dusty's class act, man. Dusty's old school. He's a baseball guy. He's a gut guy. And I love the fact that, you know, analytics doesn't take away his gut. Uh, and so I was sort of pulling for them. But, you know, this is going to be a great World Series. Yeah. I'm with you on the Dusty Baker thing. I, I've heard nothing but awesome stuff about Dusty. Uh, and then, obviously, like, you know, it was weird to see them go from kind of in the public eye to go from like a villain role to embracing it. I thought Carlos Correa really stepped up to the plate uh, just in more ways than one. They talked a lot about his leadership uh, qualities and stuff like that, uh, along with the way he performed. And um, yeah, I'm sure most of America is happy that they lost, but poetic justice would have been uh, Dodgers Astros, but the Rays, the Rays weren't having it. Huh? They were just like, nah, we're not letting you do this. 
Uh, Randy Arosa, real deal. Didn't let him do it. I think they had Charlie Morton, like, mode, right, in game seven. He just dealt. Charlie Morton pitched amazingly well. Uh, he's done that before. I have, a, I have a question for Steve. Uh, poor little Altuve, struggle bus. What do you, what do you got as, like, a, a mental skills coach when a guy's <laughs> struggling like that? I mean, he can't throw a ball to first base. It is something you don't wish on your best friend. I mean, the yips and the, and the thing. And I've had it before. Like, you, why don't I throw a batting practice? Because I'm afraid to hit a guy. And, and that's what I tell all the players here. I'm a mental coach. And I go, hey, we all got shit to work on. <laughs> you know, and I'm not a, a, a immune to it. But yeah. it's brutal. I, I had it a little bit when I was playing in Tidewater. And, you know, when you get tension in your hand, when you get tension in any part of your body, it's bad. You know, loose muscles are quick muscles. And, and if I was going to, and I've talked, people have asked me about the yips and stuff. And, and it's, I think it's because of high heartbeat. It's because you're thinking about it. And I truly believe that there's tension in the hand and you put those three things together and all of a sudden you're, you're hoping instead of knowing you're going to throw it well. And that that all goes hand in hand. I think the whole year that he had and everybody, you know, the ill will. And I I know Jose, by the way, he's right here. Just in case. (laughs) First bat I ever got signed. Um, Great kid, like phenomenal, spectacular human really just loves the game. Super humble. And I think he took the whole thing to heart, right? Which is why, you know, to lump everybody that played for that team into this category of jerk or piece of crap or whatever, these guys are really good players, no matter whether they had the signs or not. I think we'll all agree that having the signs certainly is an advantage, right? If you had them, however often you had them. But like, that you could see that kid was wearing, wearing it on his sleeve every day. He was just devastated by the whole thing. And it affected, and this is the same thing, Spring, that you've talked about for years. And it's not, it just doesn't happen as a hitter. It was just the whole game. Like, it, it led into him playing poor defense. It led into him getting caught up in his mind about having to get things done instead of having the confident guy show up to bat. So, um, you know, I was glad to see him bounce back in the postseason. And hopefully for him personally, like, I just think, you know, I hope he can have a good offseason and come back stronger next year. Yeah, my, my gut says that most of those guys are probably really good people but because of the situation that they created and now all of a sudden, you know, you got everybody on, you know, a little bullseye on your back and now you're trying to, to, you know, uh, appease people instead of worrying about what you want to do. And that's, you know, get the right guy playing and get 25 confident players showing up every single day. Like it's opening day. Now the right guy's playing and it's obvious the right guy wasn't playing. And I'll tell you another thing that I just thought about, you know, when, when you got that, everybody hates me and, and you're talking about getting drilled all the time. And, and now, we, okay, now you might be thinking, is it going to hit me before you even start going with your approach? And, and I'm not saying everybody does that, but there's fear factor in baseball. Like, this is why we watch football, because you're hit by a baseball when they were 10, yep. you know, and there's some fear factor involved. And you're, if you're not sure if this guy's going to drill you or not, how are you supposed to be focusing on, you know, your approach? And I think some guys could probably handle that a little bit better. Yeah. Some guys embrace the villain thing. I think Correa did a really nice job. He just embraced it. And, and some Again, it just points to everybody's personality. I want to dig into momentum a little bit. Uh, the Rays got out early. Rosarena hit the homer, um, held on. Obviously, starting pitching did well. For me, the Dodgers game, the Dodgers fell behind early and then clawed their way back. The, the base running mistake by the Braves, the fifth or sixth inning, I think, um, with the runners on second and third. I forget who the base runner was trying to go home. I think it was Albies, maybe? No, Swanson? Somebody yeah. was trying to go Swanson. home. Swanson. 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 Guy was trying to go home. 
uh, Riley got back picked at third. It was just a train wreck of a play. To me, I think John Heyman tweeted, like, Rays have the lead, Dodgers have the momentum. And it was just like the game switched. So, Spring, obviously your big mental approach, confidence. When momentum swings like that, for me, like when we look at bat flips and we look at guys playing with emotion, the even keelness to the game can get distorted. In a playoff series, you can ride waves. So there's more like it's a sprint, not a marathon. Like the regular 162 is a marathon versus seven game series. How do you deal with emotional swings? How do you get in the box and be in the moment when things like emotions are going crazy? Well, it's one of my pet peeves when when someone says, yeah, man, have an even keel. Uh, you know, I know why you need even kill. It's it's because of stats, because of the batting average. You know, you hit three balls right on the screws right at some, you don't get a hit. Then you get a chink, little bloopy hit, and you, and you get a hit, and you want to stand an even kill. But if I'm playing for tonight, and I nailed it in my first CD 20 years ago, everybody's favorite day in baseball is opening day in playoffs because there's no stats involved. To, to, it, it's about, you know, winning the game and, and, and playing to win the game. And, you know, when you, it's really, you just don't know. Like one guy, if one guy's not mentally prepared, he could screw up the whole season, you know? So this is the, the mental game is so much everything for me. I can't get into a, a hitting conversation without going straight to the mind. And I know mechanics are important, you know, but you're talking to a guy that, that, that bailed, lunged and had a bad eye, <laughs> but I felt like it hit because I was a better competitor than I was a player. And when, when you start thinking like that, you know, momentum, I agree with you, man. When, when, when you're, you know, think that you should have had two runs and now you have zero and, and you're facing a team that powerful, like the Dodgers that like just sniff a little bit of hope. It could be a game changer. Chris, I know you talk about playoff baseball all the time. That's like your favorite time of year. Yeah, I think, you know, as a player, the really cool part is, and, and I think the reason why I was able to do well in, in the playoffs is because everything that Spring talked about is that's the attitude I have in the playoffs because your stats really don't matter. It's the, probably the first time in your career your stats don't matter, right? Like you can be, the, you can hit a, a homer in game seven and be oh for the series. And that's the only thing anybody's ever going to remember. Nobody, it's not on the back of your bubblegum card. Doesn't get on, you know, nobody's following your postseason stats. So, like, that part was so freeing to me. But to, to the point of, like, the momentum swings in the game, it takes one guy to stop it. And usually the guy that can is the guy on the mound, right? So the guy on the mound can stop all the momentum. Like, so that's why, to me, momentum, it is a thing and it isn't. Like, if the, the pitcher has the ability to command his own emotions and throw the ball over, which I think is very much what Charlie Morton did for the race. He just said, I'm not letting them beat me. They had all the momentum, but I'm just not letting them win. And then it takes one mishap on the other side. Like momentum in baseball is weird because it's not like the energy from the last play goes into the next play and into the next play. It, it really comes down to individuals being able to control their emotions and individuals being able to say, Hey, I'm going to slow things down here for the team. And obviously it, it really, a lot of it depends on the guy on the mound. So, um, you know, I, I don't know. It's it's weird to see how both series played out because if I was a bet man, I would have said, or like, you know, if I'd ever even thought about betting on baseball, which I haven't. Um, do I have to like say that out loud, by the way? Um, <laughs> yeah, probably. But, like, I would have thought Houston had momentum going into game seven and the Braves were still okay going into game seven, you know, and then they even took the lead early in the game. And um, But it, it just comes down to, hey, it's baseball. Anything can happen, I guess. I felt like the Dodgers were just, they were the team that was going to win, whether it took four games, five games, six, seven. It was, uh, it honestly, so Chris, in the WBC, when you when Italy played against Dominican, the, there was a, a mound visit. And I remember, I'll never forget this. There was a mound visit. The Italian coach went out to kind of quiet the crowd. And the crowd, it was the first time I'd ever seen it, the crowd got louder. They went from like a sixth level to like an eighth. Mm -hmm. And 
you just knew they were going to win. They were down like four nothing early, but they were not going to lose the game. And it felt like that watching the Dodgers. Thanks for that, by the way. Well, sorry. It, I mean, they they won. I know what you mean. But it was just it mean. was like a this force about them. They just they weren't going to lose. They were they weren't going to let themselves lose. We're just doing jersey right there. That's alluding to that day. Yeah, I mean, I get it. Uh, trust me, I felt this. I went in the clubhouse. There were like twelve thousand fans at Marlins Park, and it felt like it was eighty six thousand. But yeah, I mean, you can feel it when when teams just decide they're not going to lose. It, it's a pretty powerful thing because then every guy kind of relies on each other. You just figure out what you need to do to win. The Dodgers, the Dodgers decided they were going to win, and, and they did. I'll, I'll tell you another little momentum changer in that game was something that you never see during a regular season: is a guy trying to beat the shift. When, when you know Smith had runners on second, third, two outs, I believe he was sitting off speed because it, his timing was so good. But he but he tried to hit the ball that way. And, you know, he tries to hit a bomb there. He might hit one, but odds are he probably won't. Uh, but that, that, that was huge. Two out knocks are just gold, you know, especially with ribbies. And they're back. But they don't count in right stats, though, do they? RBIs. <laughs> yeah, nobody pays attention to them anymore. Yeah. You can hit 30 homers and have 42 RBIs, and they just take you know? Yeah. It's not it, your fault, nobody's on base. Yeah, my, my analogy on that one, okay, if, if RBIs don't count, then let's pinch hit our worst hitter uh, for Jose Batista with the bases loaded. They don't matter. Makes no sense to me. But. Speaking of uh, postseason performances and impact players, Clayton Kershaw has a reputation for not being a good postseason pitcher. Is that warranted, first of all? If it is valid, what does he need to do to, um, to shake that reputation? He had a he was scratched, he had a back back stiffness one game. Does he need to pitch well in the postseason? Does he need to get the ring to establish himself as one of the best pitchers of, of his generation, if not all time? And have we seen too many sad Kershaw? There's a meme that said, like, you know it's October when Kershaw's sitting in the dugout sad. His I, head down. I, I'm gonna just say one my piece about this and then I'm done. I, I want to hear what Spring has to say, but this is like the same thing that Price went through, but probably just a little bit bigger sample size. And this is the way I'm going to put it to you. If Clayton Kershaw thinks he needs to pitch well to establish himself as one of the greatest pitchers of all time, then he needs to pitch well to do that. If he doesn't think that and he's fine, like he's good. Like what everybody else thinks shouldn't matter at all. Like, because at the end of the day, it's just some jargon that's going back and forth. Like Clayton Kershaw's really good, has been really good. will be remembered as really good for a long, long time. So the whole thing is for it, it really for him should be about self-fulfillment. It shouldn't be about what this guy thinks or Johnny's meme in Texas or Iowa or whatever, because Clayton Kershaw is really good and that's it. And David Price went through a lot of the same thing. And I think when David finally like was like, I don't, I don't care anymore what you guys think. That's when he started dealing and was probably the MVP of the playoffs for the Red Sox year. They won the world series 18. So, um, you know, I think most people would tell you that they like Kershaw as a human. Most guys that play with him love him, and they would all love for that to happen. I think now it, the onus is on Clayton to just go, yeah, I don't I don't care anymore, and I think he'll be just fine. That's a great place to pitch when, when you don't care anymore because sometimes we care too much. And, you know, if he's thinking that he's going to have to be perfect to, to get this to go away, it's not going to go away. You need to – sometimes – have you ever played so bad, Chris, you said, I don't even care anymore, and then you start hitting? And then you start hitting, you start caring again. It's like a vicious cycle, yeah. right? And you're dead on that Clayton Kershaw might be one of the top 1% of human beings, not only in baseball, in the world, with what he does with charities and giving back. And, you know, I, I also believe that sometimes 
he takes a bad rap because he'll pitch a decent game, but he'll give up, you know, a two run bomb in the seventh. But if his team scored six, he's, he pitched great, but they don't score any. And it looks like he's the blame. So there's just so many different things to think about, you know, and if I was going to talk to Clayton, I would definitely tell him what you just said, dude, just go out and compete. I, I give you permission not to be perfect. Perfect's a bad word. How do you get labeled a great player when it's all said and done? You don't be perfect every day. You try to be good every day. And at the end of your career, you were a great player. But perfect's a bad word. But that's absolutely right. You, I mean, you hit your spot on. You hit it on the head. I, I, for him, he just go out and play, man. Just go play. Whatever happens, happens. Like, and, and that's something that as a player, sometimes it gets, it gets really hard. You know, we put those that onus on yourself. And to, to your point, uh, Jason Grilly said this to me one time, and uh, right after the 13 WBC, he said, you become most dangerous as a player when you're on the bottom rung of the ladder, right? You got this ladder that you're climbing and your whole career is up and down. And when you're in the middle, there's still somewhere to fall. When you're at the top, there's a long way to fall, right? Mm-hmm. When you're at that last rung and there ain't nowhere else to fall, like, you know, what's the worst thing that happens? Like, go over four or four strikeouts? Like, I did that yesterday and the day before. So, like, you just go whatever. And then all of a sudden, whack, wow, like, That's a great it's analogy. crazy how the holes in the field open up when you're not looking for them. Like, there's way more space in the field when you're not trying to find a hit. But when you're looking for a hit, it feels like there's 25 guys out there trying to catch, they're catching everything. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So like the, the ability to show up and be carefree and to, and, and people talk about it all the time, you know, like, Oh, we'll do this. But what happens when there's things going on in there that you don't even know where they're coming from. So how do you control them? So that's as an individual, I think it's number one, really important to seek for help, have somebody to rely on that you can talk to. And, and obviously you were that for me a lot in my career. We've talked a lot, even throughout that season, whenever I see you, you know, I made it a point to come see you to introduce myself before you knew who I was. And then things just happened to work out. There were the same organization. And uh, I ended up having the better year of my career. And, you know, I had your recording on my phone anytime I needed to double back and just slow down. But everybody needs to have that, that thing that like allows them to go, I'm playing a game. Like none of the other stuff around it matters. Like it's just a game, like go play. And it's really hard because all those variables and other things are huge, you know? And you would think he would have that guy. I'm sure the Dodgers have sports psychologists and whatever, but, you know, I mean, that's the one thing that I love about what I do is I did it, I touched it, I felt it, I know what it's like to go one for 20. I know what it's like to go 10 for 20. You know, you're not going to trick me with the question. I believe one of my favorite lines is we give ourselves too much credit to remember what we're taught. And this is why I made the audio with you. I don't live with you. So if, if I'm going to help you and I – you need something on audio to go back to when we go 0 for 4. Because like I said earlier, there's something about going 0 for 4 where we lose our memory. It's in our DNA. Yeah. And when I had the tape with Tommy McCraw, that's how I invented my whole business. You know, this guy was nice enough to spend 20 minutes with me talking about me, and it changed my life. For seven years, if I was in my car, I was listening to it. And I don't know, man, there's just, there has to be something to where, you know, uh, these sports psychologists, and I'm sure there's so many good ones out there, that you, you got to come back to today. And, and stop letting yesterday beat you up today. And, and right now, he's letting the last five postseasons beat him up today. Mm-hmm. But yet, I got a new game, new pitch, a new hero today. And, and, and you know, you like your abilities and your abilities aren't showing up. It's not your abilities problem. It's usually what you're thinking, Absolutely. which makes you feel. And <laughs> now, okay, okay, now I feel like crap because I'm basing my success on five years ago. It's a tough place to be. I'm telling you, one of the biggest mistakes the Dodgers made, in my opinion, two years ago when they lost the World Series, their two hottest hitters for the last two weeks of the season was Jock Peterson and Muncie, and they're on the bench because stats said they didn't do well against this guy in a year. Well, how do I know what this guy's feeling today? What's his approach today, right? Can he hit a fastball? Okay, sit on a fastball. You know, I mean, I, I, I get it a little bit, but the, the human emotion is, is the, it could either help you, it could hurt you. So important.
I personally want to see Clayton go out and just dominate. Oh, me too. Just, just be in the moment. Just, me too. Just rip curveballs. I know his his velocity is a little bit a little bit more up. I've gone I've gone a little just to give a little counterpoint. Guys like uh like Price Kershaw. Sometimes I think about like a playoff atmosphere versus regular season atmosphere where guys are grinding just a little bit more. They're putting a little, they're going to put a little more premium on putting balls in play and, and how much that has an effect on performance. And you're playing the, against the best teams and the best, teams. And the best hitters yeah. because they're there. You yeah. know, there's not a lot of weak outs in that lineup. Yeah. You want to see the best, best players perform on the biggest stages. I think that's part of the criteria for being one of the best of your era. And, uh, you know, we'll see what happens. I, I want to see him do well. It just comes down. It, can he slow it down enough to just say, you know, and, and the hard part is the opportunities are so few and far between, right? Like the postseason this year doesn't happen until the postseason next year. So it's even worse. Like, it's not like, hey, it's one out of every five starts. But, like, you got to wait till, you know, first you got to get back there and get the opportunity to do it. And then, you know, you got to go. Hey, dog number two just came into the picture. This is Bolt. Yeah, hi, Bolt. Do we have any uh, predictions, World Series predictions? Bolt, you got a World Series prediction? No, he doesn't have one. I, I'm going to go with the Dodgers like I did before. I got every series wrong except the Dodgers because I picked all the teams. All my picks were the teams that I wanted to win, I guess. So I literally got the Yankees wrong. I got uh, the Marlins wrong. And I got uh, – what was the other one? Oakland. The, 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 the eight. <coughs> I got them all wrong. But I did say I had the Dodgers win in the World Series because that was the only, like, intelligent pick that I made the whole time. Does that mean we should bet on Tampa? <laughs> you got long <laughs> uh, you got I, you know what? I, I really don't care who wins. I'd like to see the Dodgers win because, you know, my boy AJ Pollock's on that team and he's a player that I've uh, talked to since college, you know, weekly. And he's, he's just same like Kershaw, just a great, better person than a player. You know, I hope he has a big series, uh, you know, but basically I'm pulling for him and then, you know, whoever wins. You guys are first team all AJ Pollock. I'm first team all Danny Lehman. So Danny Lehman was my teammate in 2012. He's now the strategy coordinator, or he's no, I, I read it last night. His game planning coach. He's the game planning coach. I didn't even know that was a thing. But Danny was with them two years ago. Danny, great first team all great hair. Danny Lehman, uh, second team all good catcher. No, first team all good catcher. Uh, not so much with the stick over in New Britain. Not such a great hitter, but. Great teammate, great dude. Uh, so I'm on, I'm on the Danny Lehman train. Um, yeah, and I want, I just think the Dodgers. It's time. Like, let's let's get it out of the way. So you you want, you know, and then people don't. Be a good series. You know, and they're talking about is it the same because it was only 60 games. I I'm almost thinking it's harder to do what they did to be confined to a hotel room and and you know not getting to go out anywhere and you know playing everybody's playing by the same rules and not playing in front of fans. And I remember somebody said, do you think the baseball players really care about the fans being there? And I go, I, I believe they do, but I don't believe that it affects them as much as people think because baseball players wire different, bro. You, you put us on a ping pong table, we're going to compete. You know, you're talking about spring training with nobody there, but you know something's on the line. You're competing, whether it's 50,000 people or, or your parents in the stands. And that's it. Absolutely. Because it's, it's in our DNA on, on the compete thing. The first time I felt the fans in Major League Baseball, this is a God's honest truth. The first time I felt the fans, you'd think it would, I would say Yankee Stadium in a big rivalry. You'd think I'd say Boston, AL East, or whatever. The first time I felt the fans was in game two of the division series. And I hit it, I hit the double off Hamels. And 
as like I was trying to pump us up. We lost game one. We kind of slow start to game two. And I remember like going like this to the dugout. And then I turned and I looked behind home plate and I went like that again. And then I noticed the crowd changed levels and it, it was lo- like loud laugh. Like it went to a different awesome. level. That was the first time I ever noticed a crowd in, in the major leagues. Like I, before that, you think like whether it's 30,000, 20,000, 40,000, you just know there's fans there, but it doesn't really like impact you. But that was a little bit different. So, yes, I'm in a full agreement with you about that. I get a, a good story. Like I finally got called to the big leagues with the Mets after 10 years. Right. Dwight Good's like, what took so long? I'm like, they didn't want to rush me like they rushed you, bro. <laughs> and I and I go out of the dugout to take my first BP, and there's some New York fan there. Yo, Springer, you're the best, man. What took so long? I'm like, he's like, hey, give me a ball. Oh, <laughs> F you, you suck. <laughs> when I get walking away. <laughs> I'm like, okay. That's awesome. Good All stuff. right, last topic. Vertical bat angle. Steve, do you know what vertical batting is? I do not know this. You guys tell me. <laughs> so this is a fairly new metric. Uh, Zep was producing it originally with the bat sensor. Their data wasn't all that consistent. Uh, Blast motion captures it now. Vertical bat angle is just the angle of the bat as it's coming to the zone. Yeah. So uh, there was some some talk on Twitter about Randy Arosa real deal. Thank you for well, saying his name right. <laughs> Uh, about how his his vertical bat angles in the bottom fourth quartile of VBA, so his basically his success is fluky. Uh, I I had some discussion with the person who produced the stat, and I said, well, Hank Aaron had probably the flattest swing of all time. So is that what are we talking about? <laughs> mm. Hank Aaron's pretty good, uh, and he's like, yeah, Ted Williams had a pretty flat swing too, and I wasn't going to go there because Ted Williams had Hank Aaron his. His back elbow, his shoulder move, like, like his a, back elbow gets so far down, which is a bat flattening move, that his, his bat was flatter through the zone. Mike Schmidt, crazy flat bat. Um, some really, really good hitters. To me, vertical bat angle is completely adjustable. It should be adjustable. Um, I think a Rosarena has too much arm action at times, which is going to give him some trouble. But he's still a really good hitter. He's completely locked in right now. So... It's just funny to me because I, I don't know how you, the conversation for me is more around it was, the statement was made that we can't study hitters from past generations because it's not valid anymore. Yeah, the whole, the whole I think argument, that's absolutely crazy. But yet they did it. <laughs> no, the, yeah. the, the did whole it. argument was you shouldn't teach, mecha- like the way we teach mechanics has to shift by generation and like basically insinuating that, you know, I wouldn't teach what Hank Aaron does in today's day and age and i was like and then i got a text from my buddy and i, I want to send this and overlay it and he said hank aaron's sitting at home so pissed off right now that guys aren't weren't throwing more four seam spin fastballs in his generation because he would have finished his career with a thousand instead of 755 like and, and like the whole the whole premise behind the whole uh voluptuous baseball acumen that's what i'm gonna call it is that a good acronym yeah like, that's good. That's good. very broad arm stroke can I change it? Um, you know, you know what I, okay, I just need to rant real quick. One, I, yeah. of the, one of the biggest arguments against for vertical bat angle is that it means you pop up less. So if when your bat's coming through the zone flat, the ball can hit the ball can hit the top of the bat and go off. So when they say they get the bat more vertical, that it goes sideways and you'll foul more balls off. And my thing is, you just square it up or you don't. You just square it up or you don't. I'm talking so they won't see you. Right you talk. You no, something. let me talk. This is how they want me to swing. Solid. Ready? I'll do it again. I'll do another demo. Because if I 
Now, if I side, if I side spin it, it's, it's a line still drive. line drive. That's the argument. Did you so, know that? I remember I was talking to Mark Trumbo once, and I said, "Dude, if you, because I believe that the high fastball was my furthest bombs." And I told Mark, I said, "When you're when you're sitting fastball, look for it up in the zone, chest high." Because it's going to be easier to look there and adjust to the knee high rather than look for the knee high and then he elevates you more underneath it. And he's like, "Really, you're holding that back after seven years?" And he hits 48 bombs hunting the high fastball, right? <laughs> and taking and, and looking for it, and not if. I think too many hitters they they think if it's a strike or if it's a breaking ball, and it's too late. These guys are throwing 97 miles an hour now. In your mind, the approach for me is so important. And, and you know, because I don't care how good your mechanics are, and I don't care, I don't care how confident you are. If your approach sucks, you're going to lose your confidence. Your mechanics are going to break down. The, we always used to talk about this when we first started talking about the mechanical stuff. The approach and the mechanics go hand in hand. And the argument from, from you know, the great thing about this conversation for me is that you were my mental guy and he was my mechanics guy. And like, I would put Rich Gedman in the same side as you spring in the conversation. So I was fortunate enough to learn the approach side, to learn the mental side first. And then somebody just gave me the mechanics after like Kevin Pillar used the analogy. It's like, if you're if, like, if you're a dueler, right. You got to walk 10 paces, like turns around and shoots. He goes, you could be the best dueler in the world, right? You're the best dueler in the world. If you don't have a gun in your hand, if you just have a knife, like you can still win because you dodge the bullets and stuff, but like, it's going to be hard to be really good. So then when you apply the mechanics, the, all the concepts of being a good dueler, the ability to turn and shoot, to aim, to, to breathe, to slow your heart rate down. You need all those things before somebody gives you the gun. And so they kind of go, both go hand in hand to me, but you definitely need the mindset first. You need to be able to understand that, like, if you can have the best swing in the world, and you can still suck. And what are you going to do when you suck? People don't understand how to compete when they suck. And the name of the game is how to be good when you suck. Carl Yastrzemski, I'm going to have 100 good ones, I'm going to have 100 bad ones. The other 300 are going to define me. And those 300 are not when you're at your best. Hitting's really easy when you're at your best. Like when you're feeling that, like you go up with a bat backwards in your hand, you might get three hits, right? When you feel good, you know that we've all been there. It's like, how do you, how do you play well when you stink? Trust me. I believe mechanics are huge for me. They're huge, but they're in the three hole for me. <laughs> yeah, the approach, build the mechanics. It, it, it's about, it, I used to think it was about the mind, the approach and mechanics in that order. I've changed it. It's about the approach, the mind and mechanics. If I would have had great mechanics with a great mind, I would have been a way better player. But like I said, I bailed, I lunged, I had a bad eye and I swung at everything. I dude, I walked like 20 times a year in 500 at bats. I was like Jose Springer. I mean, I was swinging, you know, is that politically correct? Probably not. No. We, we call you, you know hack. what I mean. Hack, I was like, hack. okay, Vladimir, Vladimir yeah. Springer. Okay. Yeah. Your hack, like. Uh, I was up there. I was yeah. up there to swing, man. That first That's pitch might be the best pitch you're gonna get. Yeah. And if you can't drive it, don't swing. You can't get no knocks if you don't swing. Dude, you could look away and hit in. You cannot look in and hit away. You want to talk some approach? I can't tell you how many two zero ground balls I beat to the ground and shortstop trying to pull an outside pitch, instead of, instead of using you know the whole field. Oh. You know, back to. Back to VBA. The hell is a very Bush association? <laughs> All right, oh, man. That's enough. That's enough VBA. Yeah. In summary, VBA is adjustable. It should, with our, with our forthcoming uh, assessment that will be coming out. VBA is a number that changes based on the drill you're doing. Weird. Mm -hmm. So, you should, so you mean you the hit pitches a, up ball, in the zone, the, zone the bat should be flatter. 
You yeah. get a high pitch different than a low pitch? Yeah. Ah. So most of these people, most of the stats you see on this, it takes a look at the average, doesn't look at contact point, right. doesn't consider uh, contact depth. It just says, hey, your average VBA is this. Your standard deviation of launch angle is this. Your your tightness of launch angle is this. It's like, who cares? You, if you barrel it up, you're going to have success. Spring, Don't Spring you, think, you think Pollock Don't. and Goldschmidt were thinking about their standard deviation of anything <coughs> when they were in the box this year? If do they think, were. Do you think you were going, hey, man, I need a better standard deviation of my launch angle during acumen of puncture? Probably not. <laughs> All right, let's jump into post show. One of Steve's biggest messages is hit ball hard, you win. I've got some numbers here. I got some data. Yeah, so, in 2020, Patrick, I'll get you screenshots for this. 2020, across all of Major League Baseball, this is this is. Uh, I'll make this bigger. So, 16.5% of balls were hit soft. 50% of balls were hit medium, and 33.3% of balls were hit hard across all of Major League Baseball. And what's hard? Consider what's the exit velocity for hard. I don't know what the exact number is, but we're just going to trust the numbers. So we're going to just do a quick update based on team. Top team for exit velocity, for hardness, 42% of the time, the Dodgers hit the ball hard, followed by the Padres. Third was Atlanta. Uh, Texas Rangers, 35%. uh, Didn't have a great offensive year. Um, Tampa Bay Rays were sixth. So... We've got some of the top teams in the league hitting the ball the hardest. And then just as a, as a breakdown. And most of them are in the playoffs. Most in the playoffs. And then in terms of players that hit the ball the hardest, league leader in hard hit balls was Fernando Tatis Jr. at 54.9% hard hit balls. Only hit 7.9% of his balls soft. Corey Seager was second. Acuna third. K. Oscar Hernandez was fourth. Sano, who was basically a human cheat code, was fifth. Will Myers, Ozuna, Betts, Christian Walker, Eloy Jimenez, Patrick, you love that one. Um, and then just the list goes on. Freddie Freeman was 13. And my boy AJ in the top 20. Our boy AJ. AJ Paul at 18. Mike Trout is actually 19 at 41% hard hit balls. So these are dudes. This, listed, this is a list of dudes. Um, but it's interesting. So Fernando Tatis Jr. hits 54.9% of his balls hard in Major League Baseball games. What percentage of hard hit balls do you think he hits in batting practice? 80, 90%. <laughs> so if you're a kid taking BP at home and you're hitting, if you're on hit tracks, your hard hit average is, is 12. Probably a, you got you to gotta do better than that. So hey. he's the best hitters against the best pitch in the world, still hitting the ball hard 50% of the time. Hey, 12, that ain't it. <laughs> Typically, so my a normal high school hitter on hit tracks, their hard hit average, generally like 30 to 40%. When they start creeping up around 50, I know they're due for a new exit velocity record. They're probably just getting stronger. It's right around, you know, right around that 40 to 50 percent mark is when they're starting to. Well, look at this guy right here. Will Myers had a good year. Yep. They've been trying to trade him for four years. But sometimes it takes a little bit of time to get it to click with somebody to, you know, to have that, you know, potential come out. Yeah. And get them in the right environment where they're having fun in there. Yeah. You got guys like Machado. Machado looked like he was having fun playing baseball for the first time in like six years. Yeah. It's great. Uh, Tatis obviously brought some different energy. So, yeah, hit ball hard, you win counts for everything. It counts for teams. It counts for players. It counts for your mindset. It's literally uh, – and, that, and that's where I'm going, Chris. It, it counts on the mindset. Like, I'm trying to help you get your highest batting average, 
right? There, there's not a confident batting average stat and a non-confident batting average stat. It's one stat that has no brain. Doesn't know who's showing up. And I just know what it does to you when we when you line out and you didn't get a hit, and then you you know do it again and you see that little batting average go down, and it's the and that now all of a sudden what happens? The wrong guy starts playing because you're thinking you're failed. So the whole thing with the hit ball hard you win is I'm trying to get the right guy playing every single day. That's it. it has nothing to do with the more and more I teach, the more and more I, I believe that we all have two players in us. I have com- confident Chris Colabello was a really good player, and I got non-confident Chris, you suck. He didn't play. He can't play. So why, why would I want that? To, so what's the question now? The question is, how do I get the right Chris Colabello to play today? And this is why I believe in what I teach. And you play every day like it's opening day. You play and I don't give a crap mode about me. You get great at lining. You start hunting speeds. You play to win the game today and stop letting yesterday beat you up today. Is that is the, if this game wasn't mental, then every first round pitch spent 10 years in the big leagues. For sure. And why did you and why did Kevin Pillar have major league careers? Because you were a better competitor and you were a player. And that's the whole thing. If your compete level ever leaves, uh, is, is under your, if your compete level is ever below your ability, you're underachieving. See, there's no such thing as an overachiever in the big leagues. You were not an overachiever. I was not an overachiever. Kevin Pillar's not an overachiever. We are really, really good players. But you know how many underachievers there are in this game? Guys that can't get out of A-ball that should have been stars? Yeah. It's not because of their, their, their exit velocity. <laughs> it's because they never figured out how to friggin' play the game the right way mentally. Yep. And, uh, and when you start really buying into what that means, you know, if you like your abilities and your abilities aren't showing up, it's not your abilities problem. So. Yeah. So right. That's how, that's what you need to build a team around. Twenty five guys that could do that every day. You'll have some fun. I'll tell you yeah. that. One. And it's easier said than done, but it can be done. Like when Tony Lacava hired me with the Blue Jays, he said, "Spring, if you help one guy, you're worth your money." I said, "Tony, if I don't help a hundred, fire me." I ain't, I'm not teaching get your hands here, get your feet here. I'm teaching how do I become a better competitor? Than I'm a player when I'm not getting hits, because that's going to dictate how far you play. When I get my knocks, bro, everything's good. How about when you're in that one for twenty? And if you don't go one for 20, 20 times, you can play long enough. That's a four or five game series in pro baseball. Mm-hmm. He's like, oh, you're right. He said, you go to triple A if you want to, go to double A, get your butt down there with the 17, 18 year old kids and, and, and think big picture, think oven, not microwave. See, too many people want to be Mike Trout. <laughs> Mike Trout's a freak, bro. It's okay to be a 25, 26, 27. How old were you when you got to the big leagues? 28, oh, yeah. 29, 29. Yeah, me too. It was worth it, right? All the stuff that we went through, it was worth it. Look at this wall of crap that I got. Oh, I, got I wish I would have collected stuff. <laughs> <laughs> got a wall full of crap because of it, you know? But everybody, dude, I'll get a 12-year-old. No, a dad of a 10-year-old will, will shoot me a, a text. He said, oh, my son's got no mental game. I'm like, bro, he's got no physical game. He's 10. <laughs> he can't do 10 push-ups. Yeah. I said, Vanderbilt's not panicking when he has a bad weekend. He's 100 pounds away from his man body, but get ready for him to quit at 13 because of the pressure that's put on him by the one who loves him the most. That's parents and Johnny Testosterone coach yelling at my 10-year-old. That's why kids quit. You're right. Dad, the dad's just like, oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, my, my bad. <laughs> That's good stuff. Uh, All right. Uh, Spring, where can people find you? Qualityatbats.com, Bobby. Thank you. Qualityatbats.com. Yeah, you get my bundle. It's the best deal. It's, it's the price of a half a hitting lesson. It's coupon code SPRINGTIME. You get everything I made for like 56 bucks, and it's money back guarantee. I have my CD, DVD, my new CD, Q15. I call them CD audio file. I wrote my book. Uh, springtime, people are liking that. It's just sort of the baseball version of Rudy. And uh, yeah. It's a message you can't get enough. You hear it once, you hear it a thousand times. It's valuable every time. Thank you. It'll make a difference. It'll make an impact on your day. Some really good stuff. Thanks for joining Hell us. Yeah. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> <The> Hodge twins. <laughs> yeah. I just wish I was down there with y'all. Sad now. <laughs> <laughs>
You just said y'all more times than I've said since I've been here. I can't get myself in it. All right. You should move here. I'd move here. My wife won't. A lot of people from California. <laughs> Some would argue that that's better if you move somewhere. Yeah. Your wife I wasn't going to go. Saying, it's not me. I have a grandson right now, so I don't think we're leaving anywhere. Yeah, I hear you. Hey. Great to see you, buddy. You too, man. We have pickle done. Pickle. 